There's a, an old saying that says, behind every great man there's a great woman. There's no doubt about that. In fact, all the men in this room would all say that we outpunted our coverage, that we are very fortunate, that we, the ones we married are just so much, you know, they're just so further away from us. The Bible actually says a good wife is from the Lord. That's really true. And uh, wives are there, uh, our family, and loving and supporting us. Uh, we know that a good woman can really help a man. We also know that a bad woman can hurt a man. And we see clearly in our study that the life of Ahab, who is the king of Israel, that his wicked wife, Jezebel, she actually helped him be bad. In fact, I think she's probably the reason he was as bad as he was. And so we'll look at it. She helped, him lead, she helped lead him into false worship, which led the nation into false worship. And uh, so uh, for us men, we all say, thank you, Lord, for the wives you gave us and, and how wonderful that is. As we, as we begin, let's just think about where we are uh, the, concerning Israel's history. Because you just open the Bible. If somebody says, turn to 1 Kings 16, sometimes people don't even know where 1 Kings is. You know, and they finally find it, and they say, well, I don't know where this is. Is this a history book, or what is this? Well, it is history, and we know that there was the first king of Israel was Saul, the second king was David, the third thing was Solomon. After Solomon died, the nation of Israel divided into two parts. There was a northern kingdom called Israel, and there was a southern kingdom called Judah. The northern kingdom had a capital at Samaria. The southern kingdom had a capital at Jerusalem. The northern kingdom never had a believing king, which is hard to conceive, but the southern kingdom had a few believing kings. And we're going to meet a king of the north. His name, Ahab, he is the king of the northern empire. And I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter 16, look at verse 30. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now think about that. How would you like listed in the scripture that you did evil more than anybody else before you? I mean, he was an evil Person. He was unbelieving. He was wicked. Uh, he, he was not uh, as forceful as we think, but I think his wife helped him be, be forceful and did a lot of things, and we'll see how that fits together. Notice the statement again, verse 30 again, and uh, uh, he was the king of the northern empire. Um, he did evil more than any king before him, and verse 31 says, it came about as though it had been a trivial thing. For him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat, and he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Now, when you look at that, it didn't bother him. It says, it didn't bother him to do the sins. Now, Jeroboam was the first king of the northern empire, and he was terrible. And so after that, they'll say, and this king did the same as Jeroboam, okay? They're now missing here that it says... It was trivial for him to do the same kind of things Jeroboam did. And he married Jezebel, who was a Sidonian from Sidon. And he went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Can you imagine the king of Israel worshipping Baal? Uh, We'll talk more about who Baal is in a little bit. Because Baal was a god who walked on the clouds. Baal was the god of the weather. That's why you prayed to Baal, because you wanted it to rain on your crops. And we're going to see what Elijah does when he comes to, to, to meet Ahab face to face. So two things about this man that stand out. He married Jezebel and he worshipped idols. That's both found in that little verse right there. Let's start with Jezebel. 
And sometimes you don't even want to talk about her, but he married Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. They're not Jewish. It was a political marriage. She was very wicked. In fact, most would say she's the real influence behind the throne. Her name today represents wickedness. If you just say that woman's a Jezebel, everybody knows what you're saying, that she's a wicked woman, that she's a deceitful, lot, no telling what about her. So you don't, you, know, you don't want to ever be called if you're a woman a Jezebel because you know that it's terrible. Her name represents wickedness. What did she do? Let me just show you some things that she did. She worshipped false gods. Now, she was a Sidonian that automatically worshipped false gods, and the god of the Sidonians was Baal. Uh, and so they worship, the, but by the way, this God's name is B-A-A-L, Baal. And so she worshiped false gods. She had no respect for people. She didn't care about people. Uh, all that she cared about is whatever, it's, it's sort of like this. All she cared about was the power and the throne, and she didn't care about the people. She didn't care about the people. The third thing is she killed the prophets of God. In fact, at the time that she was there, prophets all went and hid. They were hiding in caves and everything because if she found out someone was a prophet, of the true God, she tried to kill him. She sent soldiers to kill him. And that's why people are running for their lives. In fact, we're going to find Elijah. Elijah, for three years, is hiding because they're trying to kill him. And so, and then the fourth thing she did, she lied and had others murdered. I told you the story last week of how the king wanted to get a certain land from Naboth. Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. So she got people to lie about Naboth, and they put him to death. And then she said to her husband, now you can have his property. He's dead. This, this is the kind of person it is. You know, when you read, read things like this, you say, boy, there's, there's, some, there's some wicked people out there. And there are. Listen, anybody that says people are good, none of us are good. There's none righteous, no, not one. The heart is deceitful and wicked. Human beings as a whole tend to be bad. You know, we don't have to teach people to do bad. We have to teach people to do good, right? You've got children. If you've had children or grandchildren, do you teach them to do wrong? No, they naturally do wrong. You have to teach them to do right. And so people are naturally bad, and some people are worse than others. And I'm going to tell you the truth. There are people in our world who are evil people. They're evil. Whether they're controlled by Satan or they're just influenced by Satan, there are evil people. When you look at this passage, you see that this lady, this woman, Jezebel, was an evil woman. She did a lot of bad, really, really bad things. She was one who lived contrary to the word of God. We would say she was a wicked woman. The second thing that he did, uh, that he did was he worshipped Baal. And he got this from his wife because the Sidonians worshipped the god Baal. And it says he served and worshipped. In fact, that's kind of a strange thing because it says he went to serve Baal and to worship him. He didn't just feign obedience or say, oh, I, I worship the god of the Sidonians. He served him. He did things. He did a lot of things. And so uh, the, the, the word Baal actually means master. It was a name given to the Canaanite gods. And Baal was uh, unique. He was the god who controlled the weather. He walked upon the clouds. And you know, we all know what's about to happen. Elijah's going to come before Ahab and say it's not going to rain. Why is he stopping the rain? Because, see, he's been worshiping Baal. The king's been worshiping Baal, which is the god of the clouds. And Elijah says, that's not a real God. In fact, I'm going to stop it raining. And turns around and walks away. So it's powerful. They thought Baal walked upon the clouds. Look at verse 32. It says, so what did he do? He, you know, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherahs. We're not sure what an Asherah is, whether it was a statue of a woman or whether it was some just some kind of piece of wood or whatever, but they were what they were called Asherah poles, that's what they were called. He also made the Asherah. Though, though Ahab, thus Ahab did more to provoke 
the Lord God of Israel than all the kings who were before him. So when you think about this, this altar for Baal, the female deity Asherah, wooden poles, all these kind of things, he did more than all the other kings before him. Now, I want you to think about the culture of what was happening there. And I want you to think about our culture. And uh, I want you to think of some characteristics of, of uh, by the way, that's out of worship, some characteristics of our world system. First of all is self-gratification. Isn't that not right? That our world says we exist for us. It's all about me. Even from the commercials, you deserve a break, or this is for you, you know, and all of those things we say, I'm here for me. I mean, I deserve this. Uh, that kind of thing. The security is through materialism. That's where a lot of people, it things sometimes change, sometimes don't, but a lot of people say, well, if I have the car, if I have a house, if I have this, I have this, I have this much money in my 401, if I have this, then I'm okay. And that's what a lot of our world looks at, is they're saying, how are you doing? Are you okay? What kind of job do you have? And then the third thing is what I call a God-free consciousness, that there are a lot of people who live no thoughts of God at all. Now, let's say that, let's just look, lump it this way. There are a lot of unbelievers who may even say they think there's a God, but they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe anything, but they live their lives for themselves, gratification, for materialism, and to do whatever they want to do. There are even believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ who live their lives as if God doesn't exist. And sometimes the only time they turn to God is when they need Him. Something goes wrong, something happens. Have you ever thought about the unbeliever that's in a car wreck? Or what's the first thing they say? Oh, God, help me. Okay, why, I want, why are you calling out him? I didn't think he even believed in him. Think about that. So we live in a God-free consciousness or, or, of a culture that uh, would like to not say uh, one nation under God, would like not to say uh, we believe in the true God. Uh, they want to say, Let's eliminate anything that's got God in it. That's what our culture's doing. That's, it's not just our culture. It's the culture all throughout the world. So be careful. This is what our world is like. And then the last one is autonomy of man, which means that man is the center of everything. That ultimately we decide what we do, how we go, because we're, we're the master of our fate. You know, that's what we do. So look at our culture. Uh, Self-gratification, what it, what's in it for me? Uh, I, the more I have, the more I'm okay. Uh, I don't want to really think about God. You know, why you, you know why people don't want to think about God? Because if you think about God and believe that He's there, what does that mean? That you've got to come under His authority. Because if you really think there's a God, and that He's the true God, and He's the Creator God, then you're accountable to Him. And so a person says, I don't want to believe that He exists, because I don't want to be accountable to anybody. And that's where the last one comes in. I, just, I do my thing. Uh, I have for you, and I'm going to read something for you. Just, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. This, this is our world. Listen to this. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says this. But realize this. In the last days... Now, by the way, the last days began at the death and resurrection of Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that in these last days, God has spoken through His Son. So anytime after Jesus was on this earth, we're in the last days. So the whole church age, basically of the last days. And here's what he writes. Realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. Do you agree with that or not? Okay, now listen to what he says. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've uh, denied its power. And then Paul says, avoid such people as this. Is it, does that sound like, what does that sound like? That's our culture. That's our world. I remember when I was 12 years old. I'm going to do this fast. When I was 12 years old, I, at our school, they, like once every six weeks, they pick somebody. Well, they picked me one time, and they put it in like, a, they picked a student of the month or something like that. And so they picked me. And so uh, I didn't even know about it. They called my mother. And so they had to write a little write-up about it. Well, we never went to church. Listen, we never went to church. But in that day and time, everybody went to church, or you were connected with church. And so when they wrote down, Jay, they call me James, and James Bond, he's, this, you know, he's a member of Poplar Springs Drive Presbyterian Church because that was the one church we went to two times. And that's when they had the donuts, and that's when they made me pray, and I never went back and that kind of stuff. You remember my story. But everybody, when I was 12 years old, based on our culture, would say what? Oh, yeah, we're, everybody, everybody goes to church. If you don't go to church, something's wrong with you, right? Now, if you do go to church, something's wrong with you, right? The culture has shifted from the time I was 12 till what it is now. And so... What a world. What a world we are in. And this is the saints culture that you see the nation of Israel was going through. There's parts where it says that every man did what was right in their own eyes. There was a king, but the king was, was leading them in false worship and false gods. And, the pe- and there was evilness in the throne and evilness with the people, and they're fighting people all around them. So now with that in mind, let's, uh, let's take a look at Elijah. And if your Bible, just flip over a page if your Bible's like mine to chapter 17, look at verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, where did he come? Wait a minute. If you've been reading the Bible, if you started back and reading, you, you started reading about this guy named Ahab and about how he became the king and how he did everything and what he did. And then all of a sudden it says, now Elijah said this. And we could say, who is Elijah? I mean, where is he? He's not found in the Bible any other place. Suddenly he appears. Elijah appears. As Luther said, he leaps into the arena like a lion. He just, oh, there he is. Who he was or where he had been, we're not even told. He comes in thunder and speaks lightning. That's how Luther described him. He comes to be a messenger of God. God raises him up. And you know, sometimes in history, God raises up people just from nowhere. I still think about Paul, who was a persecutor, on the way to Damascus to kill believers, to get believers and kill them. God came to him, and immediately he trusted Christ, and suddenly he is for Jesus as, as just as strong as he was against. God raises people up. He raises up Elijah. He's going to raise up another guy named Elisha later on. He raised up Moses. I mean, think of the people raised up Joshua. I mean, now, Elijah's unique because all of a sudden, there he is. It's sort of like some of the people in the Bible. You'll see them for a little bit, and then they just disappear. I think of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is... 
is a king, the king of Salem. He's the king of Jerusalem. He appears and disappears. That's it. You don't know where he came from. You don't know where he went. And yet Jesus Christ's priesthood is a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. So sometimes God just brings people there. All of a sudden, here's Elijah. He's a Tishbite, which means he's from Tishbe. And he was of the settlers of Gilead, and he came to the king. Now think about this. He came straight to the king and said, as the Lord, the God of Israel is. Now notice, the Lord, if you know, I just want you to look at something. Is your Bible have Lord all four capital letters? Does it? Anybody see it? That's the personal name of God, Y-H-W-H. That's a powerful name. He said, as the Lord, and then he says, the God of Israel, Elohim. He says, before whom I stand, he's saying, I represent the God of Israel. Surely there'll be no dew nor rain these years except by my word. He says, I'm going to decide whether it rains or not, and I'm stopping the rain right now. Now, you could, if you were the king, you might say, does anybody know who this guy is? Anybody ever seen this guy before? Let me tell you four things about him. He was a man of courage because he was willing to stand before the king. He was a man of prayer because we're going to find that he prayed to stop the rain. And guess what? He prayed to start the rain back. The third thing is he's a man of faith because he took God at his word. And, and we're going to see more of that next week and a God of obedience. You know what God told him to do? God said, I want you to get away and I want you to go to a brook and stay there. And the brook hardly had any water because everything is a drought. There's no rain. And he didn't even tell him how, how he was going to eat. He just said, just go, lay, just go stay by the brook. So he went. How did he eat? Did he? I don't know how. Birds came and fed him. Birds. And then the, 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 the water dried up. And he went, well, thanks a lot. And then God said, no, I want you to leave here, and I want you to go outside of Israel to some other place, and I want you to find a widow who has no money and no food, and I want you to stay with her. He went, okay. So what is he? A man of faith and a man of obedience. And let me just tell you something. We're going to see those stories in just a little bit, and they're going to be fantastic. And as we look through them, you're going to see a man who did exactly what God said. You're going to see a man who took God at his word. And it's very, very, very powerful truths. And so he says, as the Lord lives, there will be no, no rain, no dew, uh, except by my word. The book of James tells us it was three and a half Years. Now, we know what happens when there's droughts. I mean, sometimes there's droughts and everything begins to dry up, and we go, boy, it hadn't had rained in a month, it hadn't rained in two months, it hadn't rained in three months. What about three years? What about three and a half years? What do you think it was like in the northern part of Israel without any rain whatsoever? And the reason there's no rain is because who is, who is Ahab worshiping? What's his name? Baal? And he's the god of the what? The sky and the clouds and the weather. And so basically... Uh, he's saying to him, you're worshiping the God of the weather. Let me show you what the real God is. There's no weather. There's no rain. Not until I say so. Roy Zook, who was my professor at Dallas Seminary, said this was a contest between the true God, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, and Baal, the false God. We're going to see this is not the first time this has happened. We're going to see later on that there's going to be another contest between the prophets of Baal and the true God. We're going to see that this whole thing is a battle between the God of the heavens, Baal, who walks upon the clouds, and the true God who created the heavens and the earth and rules everything. Elijah says, as the word of the Lord, as the Lord says, behold, before I stand, I stand before him, there will be no rain 
or do, neither do nor reign these years. He doesn't tell him how long. He doesn't tell him how long. He says these years. He didn't say these days. He didn't say these months. He said these years, except by my word. So let, let's, let's think about some applications, and then we'll go to the grow groups. The first is in, let's realize the consequences of sin. I mean, look what happened to the nation of Israel. And by the way, what was the ultimate thing that happened to the nation of Israel because they turned away from God and worshiped false gods? What was the ultimate, whatever, what happened to them? They what? They went into captivity. God took the northern empire and took them off in 722 to the Assyrians. He took the southern empire and took them off in in 605 B.C. to the Babylonians. They did not turn around. What happens in our lives when we get sin in our lives and we continue to live in sin even though we know it's wrong? He's going to deal with us one way or the other. Let's realize the consequences of sin. Let me just put it this way. Be careful in our relationships. Okay? Iron sharpens iron. What happened to Ahab when he married Jezebel? It got worse. Be careful. The old saying is birds of a feather flock together. The Bible basically says... You know, bad morals can, you know, can corrupt you. I mean, let's just face it. The people you hang around with are the people who you're going to be like. That's why it's so important to get in a small group of excited believers who are on fire, who are serving, and they'll encourage you to love and good works and to do the same thing because you can get with the wrong people, and before you know it, you can do the wrong thing. You can do the wrong thing. When I was in the sixth grade, uh, seventh grade, I met a guy, uh, I think his name was Tommy Bean or something. I can't even remember his name now. And he, st- he had every class with me. It was with the, we started having classes, and he had every class with me, and so I, he became my friend, or I thought. And uh, he came home with me, and one day we went up to the Poplar Springs Drive uh, uh, Elementary School, the one I had gone to, and he had a knife. And I said, what are you doing with the knife? And he cut this hose up. And I went, you just cut that hose up. He went, I know. And what I didn't realize is that we had, we had gone home from school. My mother had t- we'd taken us to my house, but we'd stopped at a store. And I looked down, and I said, you got M&Ms? He said, yeah, I stole them. So I went and told my mother. I said, I said he stole M&Ms, and he cut the hose up there. She said, you, you're never playing with him again. You're never having him over here, and do not hang around with him at school because what will happen to you, he's going to get you into trouble. Watch your relationships. Are you hanging around with people going to build you up? Or are you hanging around with people that's going to tear you down? The second thing is, do we really understand the consequences that will follow sin? When we break the rules, when we do the things that are wrong, you've got to be careful. There are consequences there. So don't take lightly. This is what happened to the nation of Israel. The second thing is, let's take a stand for Christ, for Jesus in our fallen world. Let's first of all understand the world. Understand what it's like, that it's self-gratification, it's materialism, and it's God-free uh, consciousness. We don't want, man is the most important thing. We don't even want to talk about God. We live in a world that everybody's looking out for themselves. Uh, everybody's a victim nowadays, right? Everybody's a victim. What you did to me, although I didn't do it, somebody did it 100 years ago or 200 years ago, but we're all victims, and so that's our world. So we've got to understand the world that we're in. And second is let's be men and women of character. Let's stand strong. I love Philippians. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining so you may prove yourself to be innocent and blameless children of light above reproach in which you stand and shine as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. We can stand as lights in our fallen world. We have to do it. We have to be different. We have to stand for Jesus Christ.